This is CliffCentral.com. Worksman's Attorneys is a proudly South African corporate and commercial law firm with over 100 years of experience. With over 200 lawyers practicing in over 22 diverse areas of law, they're able to contend with current, topical matters and use their expertise to your advantage. In this series of podcasts, we will explore how the law affects you. This is a series of three podcasts in which we will focus on the work of one of South Africa's premier law firms, if not one of the ones in particular with respect to the stuff that we'll be discussing, if not the biggest, best uh, when it comes to having the expertise and the experience as well as the knowledge around certain areas of law which may interest many of us a lot more than we think, particularly when it comes to today's discussion. And I'm very happy to welcome to the studio this morning Bernard Hotz, who is the Director and the Head of Business Crimes and Investigations. That sounds very, very dangerous. <laughs> He's sitting right opposite me. Bernard, welcome. Thank you, Gareth. Let me just explain the title. Mm. And, you know, when traditionally when people talk about forensics, yeah. they're associated with an accountant, an right. auditor. In this instance, the reason why I call it business crimes is because I'm a lawyer. I'm an attorney. I'm a commercial litigator. And the way in which my matters, our matters are handled is I have a secret recipe. We have attorneys who sit on top. Underneath the attorneys, you have various service providers. So in, in any kind of investigation, you need the following disciplines. You need your old school type of investigators. You need your IT forensic investigators, and you mm -hmm. need forensic auditors. So if you look at it as a pyramid, you have your service providers on the bottom, and you have your attorneys who sit on the top. Why? Because it's essential that the strategy that's that's implemented has to have a result what is the result the result is you receive evidence you have to consider the evidence and you have to see so what do you do with that evidence do you institute civil proceedings do you recommend criminal prosecutions do you recommend disciplinary proceedings right. and the only way that can happen effectively is that all of the evidence which is brought to you from the various disciplines, you as a lawyer apply your mind, you apply the law, and you recommend the course of conduct that has to then follow. So I've purposefully termed my team business crimes and investigations because it is more than just auditing. Well, it's also fascinating to me that you then have to have some knowledge of the, the stuff that your investigators are doing as well. So in other words, it doesn't help to just know the law with respect to these things, but you also have to have an understanding of how IT works, of how the investigators do their business, of how the forensic auditors are going about what they do, and which information is pertinent so that you can put together a good case. Absolutely. Well, Gareth, I mean, I've been doing this now for 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, before I studied at university, I had a law enforcement background. So I have a, I have a gut I have a gut that tells me, that shows me how investigation should happen. And really what's happened over the years is technology. Technology is unbelievable. I keep on saying to people, a lot of people don't understand this term, metadata. Metadata yeah. is the computer DNA which simply doesn't lie. And in the society in which we live today, everybody is using 
their telephone. You know, I used to say previously everybody's using their computer. Well, you know, just look at a telephone. Well, you don't need to carry a computer around with you. I don't like to interrupt you at this point because I know where you're heading and we must pick it up in a second. But you, the first thing you said to me when we were talking about how we would put together this discussion is that you are very careful about your phone. That is the gateway through which a lot of crime takes place. And it's the place where a lot of business crime is perpetrated. And if you know your way around that ecosystem, um, you know to stay out of it. Is that what you, you, you're 100%. telling me? 100%. <laughs> because, you know, I, I have this, fa- this my favorite cliche is people shoot in haste and then they repent at their leisure. So I'm an old school lawyer. Yeah. I, I prefer to use a dictaphone to dictate my letters, which my secretary then types out. She brings me my letters. I then make manuscript amendments on them. I apply my mind to it, and then I give her the final version, and I say, send that. There's a but reason that works. Absolutely. In the world that we live today, people are naturally highly emotive. So you get something, and your initial inclination is, I need to reply now. And and then you press send, and all of a sudden… There's also an expectation that things must be dealt with in immediate circumstances and they must be dealt with with, uh, with a huge amount of haste. Correct. And that's where we make mistakes, right? And that's why I sit back and I smile because that computer DNA does not lie. It that tells you who there. did what, yeah. when, how. And you would be amazed to realize that the way in which my investigations are run these days, instead of looking for needles in haystacks – the IT forensic company that, I, that I've used for the last 20 years, they're at the forefront of IT forensics in the world. It's a beautiful little firm that sits in Centurion that does work for the international law enforcement agencies. And they've designed their own tools. These are not tools that you can buy off a shelf and, in, and install. They design these tools specifically. So, for instance… In organizations where you've got thousands and thousands of people, they can go in, they input the data from the chairman to the tea lady. And within a week, because of the tools and the experience that they've got, it spits out red flags. Who's related to who? Which suppliers, for instance, are invoicing you on a public holiday or on a Sunday? Whose suppliers' invoices are out of kilter? Which employees are linked to who in which suppliers? You think a supplier supplying you from a from a factory district. Meanwhile, you click on their address and all of a sudden you see a picture showing that they've actually got offices in the beachfront in Monte Carlo. You know, that type of that type of wherewithal is unbelievable. And the technology that that you're saying we should be so wary of is the very source of the evidence for so much of what you can prove. Absolutely. And and because everything is being recorded now, we talk about metadata, but obviously the next level of this is blockchain where you'll be even less able to lie. Mm. And before, in the old days when you were dictating letters, and you still are, Mm. um, but, but you were the only one keeping a record, most people's records were forgotten. Or they were lost and they were written on paper and sometimes they'd be found and sometimes they wouldn't. But most of it was in conversation because we didn't have these electronic devices around us and with us and, and on us all the mm-hmm. time. People have, people have actually forgotten about the importance of talking to each other verbally. So what they do is they come up with groups, WhatsApp groups. I love WhatsApp groups. Why? Because if you look at HR policies in organizations. HR policies in organizations say the following. An employer is entitled to monitor its employees' usage of the Internet. So if you, for instance, get a company phone and um, 
we are brought in to do an investigation. Well, in terms of your HR policy, surrender your phone to me. Surrender your, All of that your, your computer yours. to me. Yeah. My IT forensic people go in. They make a computer forensic mirror image. And what does that mean? That actually means that you've got accredited experts who come in. They take a mirror image of your phone and they put it in a bag, a forensic bag. They seal it with a number and they give you a receipt for it. So that if one day when you get into court and you try and dispute that there's been a manipulation of your data – that's when the forensic expert stands in the witness box and he says, I, by virtue of my qualifications, am qualified and accredited to do this. Here is the bag. I'm breaking the seal, judge, in your presence. I take out the mirror image in your presence, judge, and we go and we look at that very document. Has it been manipulated or not? You know, in, in a court, uh, hearsay evidence is not admissible, right? Or it's very difficult to it, prove. It depends, yes. It's very difficult mm. to prove. And, and even in a, a, a board meeting, where minutes are taken, sometimes there isn't necessarily an appreciation for tone or for the timing of each comment and so on. Precisely. You know, it can't be recorded. But on a WhatsApp conversation, everything is recorded. And sometimes mm. people are sending voice notes or they're sending documents. Mm. And suddenly for you, this is a treasure trove of information, you which makes it amazed. so easy for you to prove things. You would be amazed. Yeah. And, and people, you know… It, they, they just don't appreciate it, and I'm busy. I'm busy with an investigation at the moment where people just can't believe that I can put to them in an interrogation. So you are part of this WhatsApp group, and you were busy saying A B C D, and I show them. I show them printouts of their WhatsApps, and they sit there and they gobsmacked. But you know, Bernard, before if I'd only, only had four hours of sleep the night before an important decision and I'd made a bad decision that had massive repercussions, perhaps even legal ones, I would have been able to lie and say, no, I got eight, eight nine hours of sleep. Don't worry about me. Mm. I was very lucid and together when I made that call. Now you can say, oh, no, no, we saw you were live on WhatsApp at quarter past one in the morning. Absolutely. No disputing that. The technology doesn't lie. Absolutely. There's no human motive. No. For that, and to that, be alive. That's, that's changed the nature of investigations. This is fascinating. So, you know, in the old days, you'd have to have your, I call them inspector plods, who'd have to go out and literally go and scour the streets and everything. Now, it's actually turned around. You still have those people, but they are now, now going out with the benefit of evidence which has already been collated from the technological sphere. And the funniest thing is that the people in the investigation, the people who are being investigated, are usually the biggest contributors of evidence themselves, mm -hmm. which is exactly the opposite Absolutely. of what used to happen. Okay, so let's talk about some of the work that you guys do because I'm fascinated by the, the process here as, as much as I am the changes and the difference that technology has brought. While the crimes are getting a little more sophisticated, particularly those commercial crimes that we read about and that are often overemphasized by the state who themselves are involved in very dodgy dealings a lot of the time, what is the capacity of law enforcement? Because I would imagine a lot of the time you're representing private clients. You're not prosecuting. Um, that's the job of the state. So what's their capacity at the moment? Well, let, me, let me make something very clear. My team, we represent the complainants. Now, it's important to understand that because what ordinarily happens is if a crime has been committed, you go to your police station, you lodge a complaint, and the state then represents you as the complainant, and the accused would then be represented by private defense lawyers. Right. If one looks at 
organized crime. Organized crime is big business throughout the world. Mm -hmm. You have great intellects around the world applying their minds to see how they can commit a crime. It's not if, it's when you're going to become a victim. So what you find happening is very complicated, intricate commercial crimes are being committed. What do you need for that? Well, in law enforcement, you've got various divisions. Mm -hmm. You've got specialized commercial crime units. You've got anti-corruption crime units. What are they meant to do? They are the ones who are meant to be able to handle these complicated types of investigations and to bring them to court to prosecute the offenders. And in an ideal situation, these would be the smartest people and the most well-resourced departments in government. One would believe so. Ideally. Ideally. The, the reality is that's far from the truth. The reality is without even at this stage going into state capture, mm -hmm. because state capture is a reality when we talk about aspects of law enforcement. And you have hands-on experience in Correct. that, which we may or may not address depending and, on how much time we have. also got. in relation <laughs> to prosecution. Right. The reality is we, we're living in a society in South Africa where, unfortunately, the respect for law is something which is much desired. If we were living in a society where people were being properly educated, had the passion to come into law enforcement where they would feel proud to know that they're in a unit that has respect from the public, that is properly resourced, that can handle the magnitude of these type of crimes – that would be a different story. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we don't have that. So therefore, there is massive need for the services of teams like mine. Why? Because you have companies who come and say, we need help. Where do we start? Yeah. So what we do is we – our role is not to usurp the role of law enforcement. No. Our role is to actually assist, and there's nothing wrong with it. If we've got the ability and the capacity to investigate crimes and to bring the evidence to law enforcement and say, here it is, let us work together with you to prosecute these crimes, one would imagine that they would sit back and say, great, thank you so much. Is that what happens? Not happening. Not happening. And when we go into one of our investigations, um, this has been reported on in the media. My team has been doing the investigation for Prasa. Right. And um, it, reached, it reached a stage where the previous chairman of Prasa, Dr. Popo Molefi, mm -hmm. had to take a stand that has never yet been taken in the new democratic South Africa where a state-owned entity – instituted proceedings against law enforcement to compel law enforcement to do their job. Unbelievable. And one would, one would sit back and say, well, why is that? And when you look at the, the, the quantum of the crimes involved, we're not talking about hundreds of thousands. Billions. We're talking about billions. Yeah. And what has law enforcement's attitude been? Law enforcement's attitude has been not to say, okay, we're going to do it, but they're fighting Prasa on 
technical basis. The one technical basis that they took was that Dr. Molefi wasn't authorized to depose to the affidavit. And these are not significant battles to win in the war. I no. mean, we've got the public very much on the side of, of, of those who are fighting corruption. Absolutely. We've got huge wastage in state-owned enterprises, which accounts for probably the economic conditions of the day, if you consider how it's impacted on our, you know, our, our ratings and, mm. and whether or not people want to invest here and growth and all of those things. But you would think that law enforcement would have – they'd bear their teeth the most – Against criminals. It's almost like they're working with them. Well, the, the judge, we, we recently argued this technical point on the authority of Dr. Molefi to depose to the affidavit. The judge who heard the matter came into court and he sat down and he said words to the effect that he's actually astounded that law enforcement in the face of such corruption, are standing here wanting to argue technical points instead of investigating the case. Law enforcement lost the case, and they were ordered to pay punitive costs, including the costs of three counsel, for having to put Prasa through that hurdle. When, and what's happened to the wrongdoers? When you and your, the wrongdoers are out there. And you and your client wanted no more than to see the law take its course. Right. Okay. So is this why? We have this unique situation that's starting to develop where private prosecutions are becoming a viable way for some people to go. You, we've got to separate the theory from the reality. So if one reads the, the legislation yeah. regarding criminal uh, private prosecutions, what does it say? It says that if – a case is brought to the state and the state then refuses to prosecute that case and they give a certificate called a nolly prosecui certificate, that will then entitle, in certain instances, the complainant to launch a private prosecution. Now, assuming you launch a private prosecution and you're busy with the private prosecution and you actually succeed in the private prosecution, the state, for instance, could then say, hold on a moment, I'm taking it back. Right. Okay. Now, if you look at a primary case that I was involved in, okay. which, which um, ended up in a potential private prosecution, this was the case where I regard him as um, the unintentional hero in South Africa, a man by the name of Flock Symington right. from SARS, who was held hostage at SARS. Yes. Why was he held hostage at SARS? He was held hostage at SARS – Really because he was the author of a memorandum which contained exculpatory evidence, which had that memorandum been given to the NPA by the Hawks prior to the NPA deciding to prosecute Pravin Gordon, Ivan Pillay and Opa Mahashula, the NPA, in its own words, would never have launched that prosecution in the first place. Now, that's astounding because on oath, in, on affidavit, it's common cause that the Hawks had that memorandum in their possession right from the beginning of the complaint. Yet they decided not to give that memorandum to the NPA. And there's a letter written by Sean Abrams to Intlameza, Burnings Intlameza, mm -hmm. when this all blew up. And he turned around and said words to the effect – when were you ever going to tell me 
about the existence of that memorandum. Do you not think you should have told me about the existence of that memorandum prior to us launching the prosecution? Now, it's almost a textbook definition for obstruction of justice. Defeating the ends of justice, precisely. So now you have Mr. Symington who's held hostage by the Hawks. He's held hostage and he's actually assaulted. And why? They assault him and in the process they rip papers out of his hand. Now, what were those papers? Those papers were very interesting. Those papers happened to be a... An email yeah. addressed by SARS's lawyers in which SARS's lawyers turned around and said when they were asked to obtain a statement from Mr. Symington by the Hawks, the attorney turned around and said to Mr. Moyani, who was at that time the commissioner of SARS, he says, you know, I will not do this. It goes against my belief, my ethics. They wanted that email. Why? Because that email was in error given to Mr. Symington, hmm. which was annexed to a document from the NPA. They Bit wanted sm- that document back. Gun. Yes. So now we go and pros- we go and try and prosecute these hawks, yeah. these very hawks right. that held Mr. Symington hostage. What happens? Nothing happens. Instead, the NPA give a nolly prosecui. I asked for a nolly prosecui. They gave a nolly prosecui. Now, what does that mean? That means that Mr. Symington, if he so wishes, can, now can go now and prosecute prosecution. those hawks. But that's not how it should be. But, but, but before we even get into the specifics of this case, I mean, this is quite an astonishing thing for us to wrap our heads around. The state usually likes to have an, a monopoly on prosecuting criminal activity. because As they should. Because the consequences of that are quite dire for the person who ends up either going to jail or being exonerated. Um it's not something that they would let the civil process take care of usually. There are very particular rules. There are specific acts that come into play. And it's most unusual for any state to give up that kind of authority. Uh, so when they do, you're telling me, first of all, uh, that the consequences would be exactly the same. Absolutely. But that second of all, the, the, the prosecuting authority can always take that back at some point. Um, which would almost seem to vex and thwart the process of the private prosecution. It gives them almost like a guarantee after the fact. Correct. It doesn't seem very right. It's, it hasn't been thought through properly. Have there been examples of private prosecutions that have been successfully taken to the They have, Gareth, but none, none of what we call the high-profile matters, the latest kind of high-profile matters. Now – now, in the Symington matter, I mean, what's happened since then, just to finish that story? Well, that's part of a much bigger picture because, as you might be aware, there's the NPA are now charging the so-called SARS rogue unit. Yeah, which was a made-up thing. Well, you know, it's it's as you'll appreciate. There were people in a unit, but it it, it was it was a, it was a politically made-up thing. It, yes. And But you'll appreciate that it's not appropriate for me to go into sure. all the devil in the detail now because it's a matter before the courts. But needless to say, um, if two things. First of all, if you look at the case number under which Pravin Gordon, Ivan Pillay and Opa Mahashula were charged, that complaint was lodged by Mr. Moyani. In person, 
in 2015. The case which the SARS rogue unit is now called upon to meet is a case under the exact same case number. Going back to 2015, dealing with events that go back to 2007. Hmm. Now, we were in court hmm. on Monday and the case was postponed to the 24th of August. Simply put, why? Well, an accused has a right to what we call a fair trial. Constitutional right. Sure. We were told, not only in writing by various people, but also by the prosecutor in court, when we made our first appearance, that the NPA were going to avail us of the entire docket in order to enable us to consider the evidence and Put forward representations, which is our constitutional right to do. It would only be fair to your clients. It would only Correct. give you the opportunity to examine all the evidence, to put together the case, to change things that you might have had preconceived ideas about. Correct. That's now, based only on what your clients told you. The ordinary English meaning in the Oxford English Dictionary of the word entire means complete. Mm-hmm. So when the date came for documents to be given, all of a sudden – we didn't get the entire docket. We got, you know, a docket is made up of three portions, an A clip, a B clip, a C clip. So they gave us an incomplete A clip, which we drew to their attention. But then they say, no, 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 no. Sorry, we're not giving you the B and the C clip because we don't believe it's necessary. We don't believe it's relevant. And we say to them, excuse me, it's not for you to adjudicate relevance. You can't be judge and jury. No. So we are now going to court to compel them to provide the B and C clip. And that's what's going to happen on the 24th of August, an application to compel them to comply with their undertaking to give the entire docket. You can't say, well, entire means only the A clip. See, because a lot of people hear about these postponements and they think, oh, well, people are just wasting time. But actually, this is hugely significant. I mean, there could be evidence in there that would um, would completely change the line of of of, of, of your dis- you know. In your fact, the case authorities the case authorities say that yeah. the case authorities say that there may be you may not know as an accused that you have a defence when you see documents in your file. You may say, "Hold on a moment, I've actually got a defence because look what happened there yeah. and there and there." Do you think that? And, and this is speculation. I don't want to get in, in the way of a case that's currently before the courts. But do you think that it's slightly more than somewhat suspicious that the NPA would only see fit to give you part of all of this when it's so glaringly obvious to you that there is so much important evidence missing um, that perhaps they've got something they don't want you to see? That we, would could be- have a, we could have a wonderful political discussion. <laughs> um, safe to say – that when the matter does eventually come to court, yes, it's going to be very interesting to sit in the audience. And why this is particularly particularly interesting, I think, to many South Africans and will be in, in the next few months, doubtless we'll hear about lots of this in the media, is because this has to do with the very heart of, of, of the government finances. Absolutely. Um, this is about SARS. This is about about the criminal justice sector. This is about organized crime. Absolutely. Because what was this unit doing in SARS? This unit was clamping down on the illicit economy. Mm -hmm. And what's happened since? The illicit economy is booming in this country. Why? Because that unit was disbanded. Look at SARS. 
I SARS have, is the most important institution since since Mr. Moyani has been suspended, and uh, Mr. Kingon has been put in place. There is now talk of the need to revive the enforcement capabilities to bring the illicit economy in. And, and the investigative capacity Absolutely. Of, of SARS, let alone the NPA and the Hawks. Um, I had Mandy Wiener in here the other day. She's written an interesting book about much of this. And, of course, there's the very well-known Jacques Poe book, which must feature quite prominently in some of the discussions around what you're investigating. I think you must be dealing with evidence every day that just blows your mind. <laughs> well, absolutely. It's, this is terrific. I mean, if anyone wants to write the next book, they should be listening to this podcast. So, Bernard, without getting again into too, mu- too much of the specifics of this particular case, that SARS hostage drama uh, and, and the, the prosecution of Pravin Gordon, are you confident that, that ultimately we'll be able to find, to get to the, the bare bones of this, to be able to figure out precisely what did happen or is it very cloudy and very complex and and i refer to this because of the way we started this discussion the technology Mm. the ability to retrieve information that people are not able to remember but that machines never forget i think the starting point has to be a change of leadership so political will political will so when when we have somebody who's sitting at the top saying No, zero tolerance towards corruption. And that morality, that instruction filters down in every sphere, both public and private, and that if you deviate from that path, there will be repercussions. Now, this is not going to be utopia. You can never, ever do away with crime, whether whether it's hardcore crime, whether it's commercial crime. But the but you've got to you've got to have a will. People have got to know that this isn't open hunting season. That if you get caught, and there's a good chance you will get caught, that you will face the music, and that there will be consequences. So the moment that that morality starts to be drummed into everybody's heads, then there's going to be a change. And yes, I can tell you, there's no such thing in this world as a perfect crime. No such thing. I admire the tenacity of, of people like you that are that are so dogged and determined about getting to the bottom of these things. And obviously, you know, there there are different motivations that kick in in this. But for the public, it would be such a sense of catharsis if we could actually see someone, for example, go to jail in respect of the price of wasted billions, um, and and those those really just unbelievably, um, the 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 word is almost they they. It beggars belief that people could be so brazen hmm. about how much they were stealing um, and how much was being mis- misappropriated and mismanaged. We've got a beautiful country. If you, if you just imagine, say, let's take a random figure of state capture of maybe a hundred billion rand, and it's most probably up of that. Can you imagine <laughs> how the people of this country? could benefit from having that money being utilized for its proper purpose. Gareth, it's not nice to drive in the street and see decay, to see people, and yes, you get beggars everywhere in the world, okay? So let, let, let's be realistic. But to see the kind of poverty, to see the lives, the desperation, and that's not right. That's just not right. And it makes it so um, uncomfortable for us to know that we do have the resources to fix so much of the problem. If we just 
tapped into them properly instead of having them misappropriated and misspent and stolen. Absolutely. So, Bernard, I'm, I'm curious because there is a, a, a hidden agenda for me in that I wanted to find out about some of these people who work with you. You must have some very smart people uh, in your department and people that you subcontract in, mm. people who gather evidence for you. You mentioned this firm in, in Centurion who dig through data for you. But you must have, uh, and without mentioning their names or any of that stuff, people with very specific skill sets who are able to determine things that would blow most of our minds, that would, that would enable us to just for a minute – Imagine the world that you inhabit, the kind of people that you can call to figure something out that is, to, the mo- to, to most of us, impossible to figure out. Tell me about those people. You know, now the cliche, the devil's in the detail. Yeah. So what you need is you have to have people who are extremely knowledgeable about life. To understand the political dynamics, to understand who fits in where. You mentioned everybody's got an agenda. Mm-hmm. You've got to try and understand it because it's not good enough just to be given a set of facts and yeah. say, well, it shows A, B, C, D. You need to understand how that all fits in. So take, for instance, the Gupta leaks. Right. Okay. That was crucial. Why was that crucial? Because, it's, you know, reading an email may be may be shocking enough, but to able to be able to position and understand how that email actually fits into a scenario and who it links to and what the agendas were, I must tell you, to have been part of that kind of evolution, can you imagine what life would have been like without the Gupta leaks? And so, so when you question of the abilities of the people who we work with, I'm privileged to say, and I will not name people because unfortunately, you know, you get nasty people out there who want yeah, to target sure. people. But I'm privileged to work with people with such intellectual integrity, intellectual patience and honesty to spend the time and use their intelligence to piece together and, and, the puzzles. And the skill to be able to see patterns and Absolutely. to connect things and to be able to see the big picture and, and put the right person in the right place at the right time. Do you have, do you ever have, and I mean this is a fantasy of mine, maybe I'm being ridiculous, but do you ever have those rooms where you've got like pictures of people up and you've got scenarios Absolutely. and little drawings and and thread linking this one to that one and absolutely you had those absolutely wow and the technology the the it technology sure. you would be astounded so i'll give you an example in prasa for mm. instance my it forensic people took charge of just over 1.4 billion documents billion what wow. they then did is they created their own tool that works like google and you put in keywords, and it brings all the documents together. But it doesn't only do that. When you put in somebody's telephone numbers, all of a sudden it's drawing pictures for you, and it's showing you people how they link together, and you visualize it. So what you see on CSI, for instance, yes. is reality. That happens in our rooms. I'm not going to tell you where, but it happens. And that's how we plan investigations, because you've got these Massive walls with pictures, and you can see exactly who links to who and what their assets are. And, and what their wife's yeah. assets are. And this are, is all yeah. done lawfully, by the way, yeah, because yeah, what sure. it does is it's taken things from various databases. So it's amazing if you know how to utilize technology properly, what you can achieve. And, and the sad hmm. thing is, 
I mean, yes, you mentioned an agenda. Yes, I do charge for my services. Damn, it's and, not and sad. And yeah, you know. Something but, has to pay but for law this. enforcement, yeah. law enforcement ideally one day should be able to do exactly the same things with the same kind of passion and pride. Well, you love what you do. I can see it. Well, I do. This Why? Is, because I'm committed. You must be thrilled to go to the office every day. I mean, you, the, the, the things you must know. I, I wish I could get into your head for five seconds. Yeah, I, I can tell you, I, I'm very passionate about <laughs> How do you it. you get I, to sleep at night? Well, I don't get, I don't get much sleep. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, yeah. You know, and I've, I've got a very, very loving and patient wife. Drink and a lot understa- of coffee? Understa- a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. Yeah. How, how many, what time does your day start and what time does it end? Gareth, I like to start my day early in the morning with prayer. Yes. Then I go, so I address the spiritual first. Then I go and address the physical as a workout. And then I go to the office and then I work late. So I try to get that balance in my life. For me, I, 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 there's nothing better than starting my morning spiritually because just time alone with the person upstairs. Sure. And your own thoughts. Clears your mind. Clears your mind. And then you go and address the physical because the tension in this, in this profession is just, it's like, it's crazy. And you're dealing with real, I mean, this has consequences. This is very real consequences. You know, if, if I, if I do a show that isn't the greatest show, nobody's going to care. It's not going to affect the world. It might make someone less happy in traffic. If you don't do your job properly, a criminal can slip through the, the, the web. Uh, someone could end up benefiting from something that they shouldn't. Someone could go to jail. Someone's entire life could be thrown into disarray. The frustration from my side at this moment in time is that I get it to a point. The point is to say criminal justice system take over. That's not happening. So my frustration at this moment in time, I believe, I would like to see this happening because mm-hmm. mark my words, this is what's going to happen. State capture. Let's look at that. The traditional defense lawyers, the famous ones in town, are going to sit back and they're going to make a fortune of money from representing the various accused. Mm-hmm. What should the state be doing? The state, and they're entitled to do this. They should go to all these top defense advocates and say, I tell you what. We want to employ your services right. to come and prosecute. We'll pay you your normal daily rate. And I tell you what, we want you to work with the prosecutors who will be like your juniors. That would be great transformation because the kind of prosecutions that are going to happen now and the complicated matters, you need the top silks to be working on And these on top this. silks will get their daily rates, as Absolutely. you say, and they'll be able to be involved in something good and rather than And they will mentor. Helping. They will transform. Yes. They will help the transformation. That's what should be happening happening but no no why not why not and so so when you when you see for instance judgments being given by judges who are overturning orders from the asset forfeiture unit okay yeah like the the, the gupta the, one the most, Stina, most, most why, recently. why why don't you start right at the beginning yes. and say let's not shoot in haste and repent at leisure yes let's go and get the best legal minds let's employ them you you should have intellectual humility you shouldn't be saying well it's going to reflect badly on me if i'm going to bring somebody else in to lead me no you should be working as a team to say guess what crime must not pay. Let's avail ourselves of the best legal minds here to ensure that criminals are brought to book. Unless, of course, you're so bad at the job that you don't know you're bad at the job. Or you may be compromised. That's possibly something, too, to consider. 
it, it, I would love to spend a day in, in your life because I think uh, many South Africans would be just absolutely astonished at what kinds of things appear on your desk from a day-to-day basis. Uh, of course, you only use your phone for calls, you said. That's pretty much it. You have face-to-face meetings with people. Absolutely. Do you ever feel like you need to protect yourself a little more? Do you ever feel like you're – because you're investigating things where huge amounts of money and some very dangerous people are sometimes involved, that you're in danger? Um, Gareth, no, not really. I say I'm the attorney. Yeah. All I'm doing is I am taking the evidence that is brought and I am presenting that evidence to a court. That's what my job is. My job is to take the evidence and ensure, you know, I, we, we must differentiate between desktop analysis and digging really deep. I believe that attorneys, litigators should not simply accept what is given to them. They should question. They should dig deeper. They should get the evidence. So if you do your job properly as an attorney, you bring that evidence and you bring it to a court. And fortunately, we've still got a very, very strong independent judiciary. And the case must live or die based upon the evidence that's presented to the court. And if you don't like the one court's decision, there's an appeal process. Right. And so, so, you know, it works both ways. It cuts both ways. It can be a very long process. The wheels, another cliche, the wheels of justice turn slowly, but they do turn. And you've got to have that patience. So that's lawyering. Do I feel at risk? Uh, I, I try not to think about it. Um, you've, got to be, you've got to be cautious, um, obviously, but I, I simply say I'm doing my job and will I stop doing this job? No. Why? Because I'm a South African. This is my country as much as anybody else. And I am trying to, I'm trying to create a beautiful country for my children, grandchildren mm-hmm. and everybody to live. Everybody. It doesn't matter who you are to live and be proud South Africans in an honest society. Well, I, I can't say that that uh, isn't the best way to end this podcast because it is. <laughs> Thank you very much. Wow. Very, very interesting discussion with Bernard Hotz, who's the Director and Head of Business Crimes and Investigations at Worksman's. Um, no doubt we will be hearing more from you, your department, and all the cases that you're dealing with in the media. Uh, strength to you. It sounds you. like a, a tough job, but one that you relish. Thank you very much. Thank you. Worksman's Attorneys is a proudly South African corporate and commercial law firm with over 100 years of experience. With over 200 lawyers practicing in over 22 diverse areas of law, they're able to contend with current topical matters and use their expertise to your advantage. In this series of podcasts, we will explore how the law affects you. This is CliffCentral.com.